Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Dividend Kings Roundtable podcast. Uh, this is Nicholas Ward here. I'm currently joined by Adam uh, Galis, and hopefully Brad Thomas may join the call. He's having some technical difficulties, so uh, we may have Brad as a special guest, but it might just be Adam and I this week. Uh, the, the topic of this week's podcast is the, uh, the best kind of 2021 bounce back ideas that we see in the market today. You know, we're living in pretty volatile times. Uh, the election and um, COVID and uh, some geopolitical things are sort of at the forefront of everybody's mind. Uh, you know, but we always talk about, you know, looking for the best opportunities in the market, uh, especially when it comes to sort of beating down blue chips, uh, you know, d taking advantage of some of the negative volatility that we've seen. So this week we're going to discuss uh, some of the, the, the kind of strongest trends that we see as a catalyst for a bounce back in 2021 and also, you know, a handful of our favorite uh, individual picks as well. So with that in mind, I'm going to pass uh, over to Adam, who will, uh, you know, begin to discuss why it is that he is bullish on the market uh, next year. Thanks, Nick. So uh, the one of the inspirations for, uh, for this topic was a great Wayne Gretzky quote, uh, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. And the <clears throat> Basically, you know, what we're seeing this year, of course, is a lot of uh, unprecedented things. This is the year of the unprecedented event, a lot of disruption, a lot of uh, great blue chips got absolutely smashed, of course, back in March. And today, a lot of investors are naturally gravitating towards the companies that are that seem like they're recession resistant. So, you know, uh, things like the tech names, uh, some of the you know, software as a service provider, things like Zoom, things like Tesla. Uh, we've seen some truly crazy uh, speculative things like uh, Snowflake going public at 175 times sales, and I can totally understand why you know in in, a, in this year when everyone's worried about uh, negative growth in earnings, anything that has positive growth seems like it's a surefire can't lose uh, proposition. But as Howard Marks, co-founder of Oak Tree Capital and one of the greatest investors of all time, said. Quote, rule number one, most things will prove to be cyclical. Rule number two, some of the most exceptional opportunities for gain and loss come when other people forget num rule number one. And so the idea behind this podcast is to fo focus on some of the highest probability, lowest risk secular trends that we're, uh, that are, uh, that blue chip economists and most asset managers expect to be coming in 2021 that can result in the greatest opportunity for profit in blue chip dividend stocks with the lowest amount of risk. Yeah, I think that's a pretty interesting point you bring up. I actually, I published an article uh, last night or technically early this morning for Dividend King subscribers looking at the, the ARK Invest uh, ETFs, which are focused on disruptive and innovative technologies. And uh, my thesis there was that um, you know, the, the kind of, like you said, the high growth that we're seeing in the tech space specifically, uh, you know, with regard to, uh, you know, its reliability due to the secular tailwinds that are propelling it, this, it has almost turned these, you know, very highly valued speculative stocks into defensive holdings, uh, you know, which is, you know, seems irrational to talk about, you know, companies even without earnings at all, you know, being viewed as defensive. Uh, but like you said, we, you know, people are just have so much thirst for growth. Uh, you know, right now due to kind of the, the you know, the pandemic and some of the, uh, you know, the negative growth that we've seen even in the blue chip space this year. 
but like you said, uh, you know, that is likely to change. I like the Gretzky quote a lot. Uh, you know, we do need to, uh, you know, all in investments. I, I know we look at trailing uh, data a lot, but ultimately future cash flows is what, uh, you know, stocks are priced upon. And so with that in mind, you mentioned some strong secular trends that you expect to play out uh, next year. Would you uh, mind highlighting uh, some of those for our listeners? Oh, absolutely. So the biggest immediate trend, of course, is uh, on the pandemic front, of course, we have uh, over 130 vaccines in development. By the end of this year, Dr. Fauci says he expects one of them, at least if not several, to become approved, uh, as well as uh, early in 2021. For example, Johnson & Johnson, they're working on one that is the the first one that is expected to be a single shot uh, and 50 to 60 percent efficacy which is actually considered quite good for a vaccine, uh, especially one that's been as rapidly developed as this one. And while that might not end the pandemic in the U.S., it would significantly reduce the transmission of the virus, which would then set up the economy for the major growth catalyst, which is what Goldman Sachs is now saying. They're now estimating around a $2 trillion stimulus for next year. Uh, J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley just came out saying, as long as we get a stimulus by early 2021, then a double-dip recession is a low-probability event. Now, they're estimating around 20 to 25% probability of a double-dip recession, which uh, J.P. Morgan estimates would uh, likely result in a 22% mild bear market. Moody's actually just updated its economic model, saying that uh, their base-case scenario is $1.5 trillion in stimulus, which they think would uh, drive at least 3.5% economic growth next year. But potentially, the, the stimulus is uh, even higher, like $2 trillion. We're looking at four plus percent and economists are saying that it might be as high as 5% economic growth. And so the two major stimulus uh, for the overall economy and the stock market, at least in the short term, we're looking at is after the election uncertainty is over, you know, we've got that stimulus, we've got the vaccine that's expected to drive, you know, strong economic growth in 2021 of potentially four to 5%. And of course that triggers the major stimulus that Moody's is talking about, which is a quote from their most recent baseline economic forecast, long-term interest rates will steadily uh, increase from 2021 onwards with the 10-year rate reaching 4.1% by 2030. Now, I should point out, of course, while Moody's is a blue-chip economist, one of the 16 most accurate tracked out of 45 by MarketWatch, most blue-chip economists expect that uh, after this pandemic, 10-year yields, the proxy for long-term rates, will return to 2 to 3%, so about 2.5% mid-range. Now, for context, in the last decade, when we've had those uh, very low interest rates, the 10-year average, 2, uh, 2.0%. And so, of course, the... Uh, major thing, of course, is that a lot of cyclical companies, especially in the financial sector, they've been absolutely beaten down and hammered because of uh, concerns over low uh, short-term and long-term rates. But of course, that while the Fed is planning to keep short-term rates at zero through at least 2023, if those long-term rates start rising in 2021, as Moody's and most blue-chip economists expect, well, guess what? That's gonna increase financial profitability incredibly quickly and suddenly turned the most out of favor sector into the potentially the hottest sector on Wall Street. Yeah, I hadn't seen that note by Moody's. That's a pretty bold call. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of fixed income investors would love to see a uh, 4% yield. I'm not sure 
you know, if I see a likely path, I guess we're going to have to, you know, to end these easy money uh, sort of uh, monetary policies across the world. And I don't know uh, if the company, if the, if a lot of countries sort of are, are going to be willing to do that, but that would be uh, quite interesting to see play out. I know you were going to mention a financial uh, during this call. I, I, I do uh, really agree with you that kind of the economic stimulus is something that investors should be uh, looking for. I know that we're kind of worried about the politics. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, discussion on, uh, you know, if the Democrats do a blue sweep, we'll see, uh, you know, rise, rising taxes on uh, wealthy individuals as well as, uh, you know, corporations that could relate, uh, result in uh, smaller earnings. But I did see a note, uh, I think yesterday, or the day before, uh, by JP Morgan highlighting the fact that they think uh, even in the event of a blue sweep, uh, you know, and these kind of higher taxes that people are talking about, they do expect, uh, you know, a unified government to be able to pass a pretty significant uh, s uh, stimulus bill, also kind of working on uh, infrastructure as well, kind of thinking about, uh, you know, moving the United States into the 21st century with, uh, you know, better internet investments and uh, things like that. So, uh, I think that's just a great example of, uh, you know, how people, I know a lot of people are worried about the election uh, on both sides and what it could mean for their portfolios, but it seems to me that uh, kind of regardless of, of who wins, I don't think, uh, you know, there's a catastrophe headed, uh, you know, for the markets one way or the other. Um, with regard to that financial space, do you have a company or two that you are really bullish on? I mean, that's kind of an area that I avoid. Uh, you know, I, I think back to the, uh, you know, all the, the banks cutting their dividends during the Great Recession. And as a dividend growth investor, that just, uh, you know, is a very scary, uh, you know, possibility for me. But I, I know that's, uh, you know, obviously, the big banks aren't the only financials in the market. And there are, uh, you know, quite a few companies that offer safe and reliable dividends. Well, yes. Uh, but before I uh, go into my specific recommendation, I do want to point out Goldman also put out a note recently. Now, Goldman was one that earlier a few months back said that uh, if corporate taxes rise to 28% uh, next year, which they considered a 50% probability event that's now much, much higher, uh, they're expecting actually uh, corporate taxes to be uh, slightly increased, potentially not to 28%, but uh, to go up starting in 2022. Uh, initially, they were saying that they expected corporate profits to drop by about 12% over the long term. Now they're saying that because of that $2 trillion expected in stimulus, even factoring in higher regulations and higher corporate taxes, they're expecting corporate earnings to actually be 4% higher over the next four years, not 12% lower. So that's why they, as well as UBS and JP Morgan, a lot of the uh, blue chip economists are basically saying that they're uh, becoming increasingly bullish on the stock market. Now, as far as financials go, I absolutely agree. It's a uh, very complex accounting. The, the balance sheets are, you know, many people refer to them as black boxes. There's really just no way to uh, tell what exactly they own, which is why a great proxy for uh, the safety of financials is look at the credit rating because S&P, Fitch, and Moody's, they are experts. I mean, obviously, they got things very, very wrong in the financial crisis, but they have certainly learned from those mistakes, become a lot more conservative. Every year, they analyze financials. They look at the entire balance sheet. They look at the regulatory risk profile. They look at the overall uh, risk profile for the industry uh, in terms of, you know, special 
specialized things? Do they have long-term loans, for example? If they're a uh, you know, life insurance company, how might they be affected by the pandemic? They factor all of this into the, those rating agencies or their credit ratings, which are, of course, a proxy for long-term bankruptcy risk and thus overall fundamental risk of losing all of your money. And so I want to point out, of course, one of my financial favorite financials, uh, Dividend Kings members, of course, will uh, recognize this name very well, uh, Prudential Financial, which we've now bought nine times for the Phoenix portfolio since March. Uh, I mean, one of the greatest companies uh, simply uh, in the industry, a stable credit rating. So very, very safe. The payout ratio at this point is now expected to be uh, uh, something like 40% in 2021, 50% is safe payout ratios for insurance companies. And that's before a recession. So you have safety buffer if earnings collapse, but their payout ratio basically was never expected, uh, you know, a peak payout ratio around 53% in this recession. Uh, analysts are actually expecting the dividend to be hiked 5% both in 2021 and 2022. So Prudential achieving a 14-year dividend growth streak, according to analysts who collectively know it better than anyone but management itself. Of course, you know, uh, management has been uh, uh, working hard to uh, mitigate the effects of the pandemic as well as low interest rates. Uh, so, you know, they're basically, you know, hoping for the best with those rising rates, but planning for the worst. And so they have many levers to pull, as well, of course, as one of being one of the 10 largest asset managers in the world, which is a growth catalyst that is something that most insurance companies don't have. And so, you know, the point with, uh, uh, with Prudential is that basically analysts are expecting uh, in 2021, uh, for example, uh, this year, 20% hit to EPS, which for context, many financials are expected to see 50 to 75%, just 20%, basically equal to the S&P 500. But next year, 23% earnings growth, 14% in 2022, 8.3% long-term growth consensus. For, for context, over the last decade, when interest rates were at 2% uh, for the 10-year on average, and Prudential was growing at 8% and the dividend was growing in line with those earnings. So again, even if the, the low end of uh, long-term rates over the next decade, that two to 3% blue chip consensus range, Prudential is very well situated to be growing at you know uh, anywhere from eight to 9%. And for context, the S&P 500 is expected to grow around six and a half, dividend aristocrats around seven. So, you know, the uh, S&P yields 1.7, the aristocrats yield about 2.2 right now. Prudential is expected to grow faster than both and is yielding around six and a half. So you've got a very safe dividend, wonderful opportunities. I mean, if you look at the investment decision score, 100% A plus exceptional. It's close to 50% undervalued right now. I mean, literally looking at the uh, 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 historical return model, uh, $134 fair value in 2021, 53% discount. That means the upside to fair value alone is over 100%. So this is basically a company that's trading at less than seven times earnings. Uh, Graham Dodd said that a uh, company growing at zero is worth eight and a half times, meaning this is what uh, Graham, Dodd, and Buffett would consider an anti-bubble stock. Literally, as long as it doesn't grow, as long as it grows at zero percent or faster, you literally cannot lose money over the long term. It's just a question of how much you'll make. 
And so Prudential is, you know, absolutely the highest quality uh, insurance company and one that I have absolute trust in with my own money, with uh, Dividend King's portfolios. And I consider it a, a wonderfully reasonable and prudent potential investment idea for our Dividend King's members. And, and with Prudential, uh, so what is, I know you've been bullish on this company. I know you've done a lot of work on it. I am concerned, like I said, I'm not sure if we will see these rising rates that uh, Moody's, even the kind of 2% to 3% normalization, that is a rational hypothesis. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we're at record low rates right now, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see us kind of sit in this, uh, this record low range uh, for an extended period of time. What if, uh, you know, we don't see rates rise back to that 2 to 3% range, you know, if the 10 year and even the 30 year, if these long-term rates stay, you know, down to, you know, like below a percent where they are, where they have been, does that change your thesis? Does, does Prudential need to see normalization to do well, or, uh, you know, can they still be profitable uh, uh, in a, a very, you know, a record low rate environment? Well, that's a, that's a great question because, of course, you know, uh, you know prudent long-term investors, they, they prepare for every con, uh, realistically conceivable uh, scenario. Now, there is a scenario in which the Fed would call, uh, use something called yield curve control, where if the economy did, uh, failed to recover, they could basically announce that they're going to try to cap, say, the 10-year at uh, 1% or lower. And if it goes above 1%, they'll buy infinite amounts of bonds to keep it at 1%. The 30-year yield, of course, uh, would not be as greatly impacted because they probably wouldn't be buying that. Uh, but it, generally, the 30-year yield uh, uh, does tend to be within about 0.5% above the 10-year. So that would basically, yes, that would cap short-term rates. Now, uh, ma uh, management at Prudential, they have been focusing on basically shorter duration uh, products. Uh, now, they do invest a lot of float. They have about $400 billion in float currently invested in a very conservative portfolio, which does mean it tends to be uh, a lot of so uh, risk-free sovereign debt. So they it would be slower growth than uh, basically expected. Something similar to the three to five percent growth we've seen basically in recent years, when we ba basically faced the uh, industrial recession of 2019, and of course this recession in 2020. But the great thing about uh, Prudential, of course, is that they do have uh, the asset management business. They do have numerous. Uh, levers they can pull, including, of course, buybacks. That's the nice thing about financials. They they generate such uh, profits that they can basically generate around three to four percent organic growth just from buybacks alone. And so, uh, basically, remember the idea behind some uh, these quality financial blue chips, like uh, you know Prudential that I pointed out, is they're priced for negative one percent growth. So as long as they, even if they grow at just four percent, they're likely to see a return to historical uh, fair value, which on these insurance companies I should point out is often around between eight and ten times earnings. So remember, you know Chuck likes to point out that rule of thumb: fifteen uh, PE or fourteen to sixteen reasonable range. Uh, for most companies. Well, with insurance companies, you know, what, what the models we're using is the historical fair values over the last decade, which is from Prudential, it's between nine and nine and a half times earnings. So, you know, Prudential basically doesn't, you know, absolutely doesn't have to grow at 8% as analysts expect, even if it grows half as much. I mean, really, if it grows at zero, we're, we're basically looking at uh, something like uh, eight to 10% long-term returns on Prudential. 
so uh, even in that kind of realistic scenario, and of course, that, that's the thing as, as uh, economists and most CEOs, a recent uh, uh, poll of CEOs pointed out, 20 to 25% probability of a double dip recession. And that, of course, might scare a lot of people. They might think, oh my God, we're going back to lockdowns. It's going to be like March. No, it's not going to be like that. It's basically a very modest 1% potential decline. You know, unemployment remains elevated. The Fed basically increases its bond buying, which would potentially, you know, institute yield curve control. But again, that's a 20 to 25% probability event. And as long as we get be, uh, anywhere from one to two trillion in stimulus, which is now looking like uh, the base case, UBS just came out and said that uh, around one and a half trillion stimulus and a democratic sweep. Uh, that's their base case. So their uh, Democrats have actually prepared a $2.2 trillion stimulus plan that they're ready to uh, basically uh, enact as soon as February, as soon as Congress gets sworn in. So, you know, again, it's a maybe a 20 to 25% probability that rates stay low for, for longer. The Fed, of course, is planning to keep rates on the floor through 2023, though Goldman does point out that if we get that stimulus and stronger economic growth, they might have to accelerate how fast they start raising short-term rates. But again, remember, if short-term rates are on the floor and 10-year uh, yield starts rising just even to say 1.5% sometime in 2021, that's going to significantly expand uh, just the, the catalyst for you know, net interest margins and overall investment spreads for financial, not to mention uh, the uh, stronger uh, economic recovery and their just very strong bounce back 20 to 30 to even 40% growth on some of these financial earnings. So uh, overall, I'm optimistic, but I do, uh, uh, as Nick says, you know, focus on uh, be prepared for that 20 to 25% probability event, not just in terms of what that means for fundamentals, but of course, in terms of these volatilities. Prudential is a company that tends to have around 44% historical volatility. And uh, JP Morgan estimates that if we did have a double dip recession, they could potentially fall as much as 40%. So this is why we recommend buying in small amounts, basically, never go all in. Uh, you you know, anytime some people say, oh, I want to get completely out of stocks or I want to get completely into stocks, that is market timing. That is speculation. That's not long-term investment because as Peter Lynch points out, no one can predict interest rates or the stock market or the economy. So focus on the fundamentals of your companies and make sure that your risk management is strong because that's how you sleep well at night and that's how you avoid making costly mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I like, um, yeah, looking, the more you talk about Prudential, the more kind of bullish I get. I know it's, uh, you know, within our Dividend Kings community, it's almost been like you and Chuck bullish here. I'm a little bearish. We've been butting heads a little bit. Um, you know, I just, I, I, I think about that volatility. I see the massive uh, kind of negative earnings growth that the company, that Prudential and, and generally all financials produce. Uh, back in 2008, 2009, uh, EPS was down 63%. Uh, for Prudential and just, um, you know, we're seeing it obviously during the COVID pandemic as well. So that has sort of scared me from a dividend safety standpoint. But like you said, you know, the company's trading for 5.8 times next year's earning expectations. It has a six and a half percent yield. And uh, if those sort of 5% dividend growth projections that you mentioned come to fruition, uh, you know, we're talking about a very high chowder number here, uh, dividend yield plus dividend growth rate at a, you know, five-year DGR for those who aren't familiar with that metric. But uh, you know, I am kind of coming around more and more to this investment. I don't think it's a name that I would, you know, like you said, dive head first into. I wouldn't uh, overweight it due to its volatility. But, uh, you know, as a high yield investment that does offer, uh, you know, somewhat attractive dividend growth prospects, I do think Prudential uh, is becoming more and more interesting as sort of the rest of the market 
uh, rebounds. And so, I would I would also point out, of course, that uh, you know I, I totally understand you know financials really did screw the pooch back in two thousand eight. But it's important to remember that you know re, uh, financial regulations are a lot tighter. Uh, balance sheets have gotten much more conservative. Prudential is basically eliminated. Uh, they did have a lot of exposure to uh, those credit default swaps. That's what caused that sixty three percent plunge. Uh, the Fed forced them to cut their uh, dividend. Uh, I th uh, it was close to 80%. Uh, they bounced back quickly after that, but now they've got basically no exposure to that. Their balance sheet is a lot more conservative. That's why they have that uh, A uh, stable credit rating from uh, S&P and Moody's. And uh, ultimately, uh, I'll point out, you know, Buffett uh, famously in 2013, he basically went on, I think, CNBC interview and said, I guarantee the banks will not get us in trouble again. And of course, you know, Buffett, he's uh, one, the greatest long-term investor in history. He is someone who understands the probabilistic nature of Wall Street. So if, uh, you know, Buffett, all the great investors in history, they never speak in certainty. So when Buffett comes out and says, I guarantee that we will not face another financial crisis, that is definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah, no, uh, sorry about that. I had a little technical difficulties there. No, I do agree. And uh, like, yeah, the dividend was cut in 2008, but uh, by, what is it, 2011, it was already back above its pre-recession level. So that is somewhat, uh, you know, it does provide some peace of mind from a dividend growth standpoint. Uh, you did mention the uh, kind of the industrial recession in 2019, and that did uh, kind of, I, I figured that'd be a nice uh, transition point to a company I wanted to talk about here. Uh, you know, we're thinking about trends uh, you know, four bounce back trends next year in 2021. And uh, to me, something that we've seen just absolutely crushed in recent years and that I do think will bounce back, uh, you know, maybe not to pre-pandemic levels next year, but definitely, you know, long-term, I continue to be quite bullish on and I'm talking about the aerospace uh, sector. Um, this, you know, I just continue to see strong long-term demand on both the kind of commercial side and the, uh, you know, from also obviously like the military and government side as well. So with that in mind, I do really like uh, Raytheon right now. That's a company that I've been buying recently. Um, it's a company that offers a, you know, in my opinion, a pretty well diversified uh, kind of revenue pie between, uh, you know, we have the uh, new Rockwell Collins acquisition, we have Pratt & Whitney, and then we have the company's uh, defense uh, you know, at, um, areas that they, they work with like missile defense systems, they have satellite assets, um, you know, they, they do a lot of sort of like black box contracts with uh, the government that's classified that we don't even really know exactly what it is, but we do get to see their backlogs. And, uh, you know, at the end of the second quarter, their uh, defense backlogs were at record levels. Um, so I, that is a, a company that I like. I, with that in mind, I do want to say, you know, Boeing did come out recently and they did adjust their forecast for uh, commercial kind of airline sales moving forward. They reduced their 20-year uh, kind of forecast down by negative 11% uh, due to the recession. Now they're saying that we will likely need, uh, you know, roughly 18,000 uh, narrow-bodied planes, you know, over the next uh, decade or so. But uh, they're still calling for basically a eight and a half percent trillion dollar market for uh, commercial airlines, uh, for airplanes being sold over the next uh, 20 years. So that seems to me like it's still it's a very large investing opportunity. And with that in mind, I don't want to invest in Boeing as a dividend growth investor. They obviously slashed their dividend 
uh, down to zero. And uh, they have recently said that, you know, they don't expect to reinitiate that dividend for probably three to five years. Uh, they need to repair a lot of the damage that they've done to their balance sheet. But Raytheon does pay a nice 3.2% uh, dividend. Uh, dividend growth is a little bit of a concern here due to the uh, United Technologies uh, merger recently. Uh, you know, we don't exactly know what their plans are moving forward and what the trends will be. But uh, analysts are expecting to see uh, a low single digit dividend growth next year, then picking that up to kind of the uh, mid to high single digit uh, dividend growth in 2022. Um, Raytheon did is seeing pretty uh, big negative uh, kind of EPS volatility this year. Analysts are calling for negative 39% EPS growth, which is a is an issue, but this is a highly cyclical company. And uh, with that in mind, they are calling for 29% and 28% EPS growth in the uh, coming years, which would mean that by the end of 2022, their bottom line would uh, kind of get back to these pre-pandemic levels. Uh, so right now, Shares are trading at 17 and a half times, um, you know, kind of a blended PDE, but they are trading at a pretty, uh, you know, they're trading for nearly, uh, you know, 16 times 2021 forward uh, EPS expectations. And then, uh, you know, what below 15 times 2022. So Adam, do you have any thoughts on Raytheon? I don't know if this is a company that you include in the Phoenix list or in the Phoenix portfolios. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Raytheon. It's one of my uh, one of my favorites in, in terms of uh, aerospace and defense. Of uh, obviously, it's a dividend aristocrat, uh, twenty six year dividend growth streak. Uh, that's expected to increase to twenty eight by the end of this pandemic. And as you uh, pointed out, strong growth, uh, not just twenty nine and twenty eight in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, but twenty five percent from six analysts for twenty twenty three. So I know there is some concern. Uh, some of the other analyst consensus estimates uh, are. are lot lower but uh, again looking at the you know fact set uh, I consider that basically the most reliable as long as you have a robust number of analysts in this case out to 2023 we have at least six analysts forecasting 12.8 percent growth even factoring in this current recession so uh, Raytheon if you basically look at you know historically they've grown at basically a kind of a high single digits historically. Uh, they expect a lot of synergies uh, and uh, buybacks to resume uh, basically, you know, post pandemic. So, you know, looking at that, basically, you know, that dividend, it's extremely well covered. Uh, they have a 32% debt to capital and A minus uh, balance sheet. Now I believe that they, it's a negative outlook currently because of the pandemic. But again, with that very, very strong recovery in next year, uh, Raytheon is uh, basically definitely one that I would uh, consider uh, recommending, and especially with that uh, you know strong uh, growth outlook of like twelve uh, percent. Uh, Raytheon is currently at ninety percent A minus, uh, potentially very good uh, investment. Uh, I I have to I forget whether or not I have uh, uh, updated them for this year, but. Uh, as Nick uh, said, basically, they're trading around 16 times uh, next year's earnings. Historically, around 16 and a half is uh, basically fair value uh, over the last 20 years for Raytheon outside of bear markets and bubbles. So basically, what that means is that, you know, if uh, Raytheon grows as expected through 2023 and tr uh, re basically trades at that historical 16 and a half times earnings, you're looking around 19.6 uh, percent annualized returns while you're enjoying that, uh, you know, relatively generous 3.2% yield that eventually uh, is expected to grow over time. And analysts are forecasting for continued dividend growth from this dividend aristocrat. 
So it is a bit speculative, of course, uh, in this pandemic, as uh, you know, Boeing and some of the airlines alluded to, they don't expect uh, the uh, airline industry to actually recover until the pandemic ends. So around 2022, uh, uh, in terms of uh, like uh, commercial travel for uh, business travel, that might potentially take a lot longer to recover. Uh, but uh, overall, you know, Pratt and Whitney, that that has been the the major issue for Raytheon. But uh, Fitch pointed out that even in a Democratic sweep scenario, they do not expect the DoD budget to be cut, and so that's roughly uh, half the business for Raytheon. Uh, and so overall, you know, that recovery in uh, aerospace off of these you know, record lows, that is a strong catalyst for Pratt & Whitney. And of course, uh, Raytheon has you know, wonderful, uh, uh, very high returns on capital on those defense projects, which are of course, you know, expect, uh, basically under a long-term contract. Now, of course, there is some execution risk. If, if they fail to deliver, they can basically, uh, basically end up uh, having cost overruns. But overall, they're uh, above average uh, uh, overall uh, track record on delivering on those pro uh, on those uh, projects. So yes, I'm definitely bullish on Raytheon, and uh, it's one that we bought in Phoenix. Uh, I bought personally uh, as well, and I look forward to potentially buying it in the f uh, coming months, as long as it basically continues to languish at these prices, which are not pricing in a recovery for 2021. That is a high probability, low risk scenario. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned the uh, the DOD spending. I know that's a concern for investors. You know, generally speaking, the you know there's the idea that Democrats would rather spend uh, you know dollars on uh, you know other things as opposed to defense spending. So, uh, you know, obviously, no one knows what's going to happen. But I do, uh, you know, you have to kind of trust those blue chip analyst uh, opinions. Uh, you know, generally speaking, and. Uh, as I said, I did uh, just look it up while you were speaking. The uh, Raytheon in intelligence and space segment has a, a backlog of $19 billion right now, and the company's uh, missiles and defense segment has a backlog of $32.8 billion uh, at the end of the second quarter. So, uh, you know, that, that remains pretty bullish, and I think those uh, contracts will obviously uh, come to fruition. Uh, like you said, regarding the bounce back, the, uh, you know, there is concern with the Collins Aerospace and the Pratt & Whitney um, both of those uh, segments posted essentially negative 100% uh, operation, operating profits during the second quarter, but uh, those are expected to bounce back uh, significantly kind of once air travel picks back up uh, and once, uh, you know, CapEx in this industry uh, is sort of resurrected. And I do, you know, I'm not interested in playing with the airlines. To me, those are super speculative. Uh, their dividends are not reliable. We saw Buffett uh, divest uh, you know, quite a few. He may have divested all of them. You may be familiar, Adam. I'm not a. Uh, oh yeah, no, he 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 sold all of them. Okay, uh, and, and I would just airline. I would point out the reason Fitch is so confident and analysts so confident about the lack of a DoD budget cut. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, you know, uh, many Democrats would like to take a you know take a hatchet to the DoD budget, but it's important to remember that. Uh, you know, in Congress, uh, the, what these con defense contractors have done, they've spread out their supply chain in virtually every state. So they've got basically, you know, the, with their lobbying budget, they're basically funding every congressperson, most senators. And so, you know, money talks. And regardless of whether you think that's good or bad, you know, uh, as, as Ben Graham said, you know, the, the intelligent investor is a real, you know, is a realist, uh, you know, is a pragmatist who buys from uh, pessimists and, and sells to optimists. And so, you know, that's just the, the nature of the world we live in. Uh, there's always a chance it could change, 
But uh, that's essentially the reason why the rating agencies, bond investors, and analysts are so optimistic that the DOD budget is likely to remain relatively stable over time. And, and Biden, you know, uh, you know, uh, just looking at it uh, historically, uh, he's not been, uh, you know, a fire-breathing, bomb-throwing progressive. He generally basically listens to the experts. And so similarly, you know, if uh, the Joint Chiefs that uh, he brings on, if they basically tell him, you know, we need uh, certain projects, we can't, you know, hack the DOD budget 20%. He, uh, historically, uh, you know, even his critics basically say that, you know, the two words that describe him uh, most uh, uh, well over the last 30 years is reasonable and prudent. And so he basically, it doesn't, you know, I, I basically am relatively confident in the Fitch and uh, S&P's assessments that the DOD budget is safe. And so, you know, Raytheon Technologies, uh, should absolutely be good, and their backlog should basically generate that kind of sustainable cash flows to keep that dividend safe. Nice. Well, that is uh, good to hear. And actually, with that in mind, we did have plans to discuss some uh, some trends in the real estate space that we liked, as well as in the uh, kind of the old tech, uh, kind of some of the beaten down cheap old tech names too that have some catalyst, uh, you know, with regard to uh, capex spending increasing next year, but. Uh, we kind of are up against a hard stop here with regard to the length of this week's podcast. So maybe we'll just pick this discussion up next week as well. Uh, so with that in mind, I do just want to thank everybody for stopping by and listening. Uh, you know, hopefully you uh, learned something today. I know that I did. And uh, with that in mind, you know, we look forward to, uh, you know, talking to everybody next week. And until then, I hope that everybody uh, is well. Thank you. <laughs>